0: We're talking religion and politics on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of the partisan evangelical church and asking the question, is God really a conservative Republican and does God require his followers to be? Podcasting worldwide on the NPE Network at npepodcast.com. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast with the nonpartisan evangelical himself, your host, Paul Swearingen.
1: All right, I am Paul. Glad you're with us on the podcast today. I'm still sheltering in place. I, I haven't quite got comfortable with going out just yet, but I. I got invited out to have lunch with somebody for next week, and so I'm still in negotiation of whether I'm going to do that or not, but as of today, of recording this on June 3rd, I am still hanging out in the house and hope you're doing great wherever you are as we move in in California into Phase 3. And what I want more than anything is for my son to be able to play baseball. So that's what I'm looking forward to more than anything. But hope you're doing well wherever you are and uh, have a fun discussion for us today. One of the things I love to do is, in, in particular, is give a place and a voice. To people that have something interesting to say, and particularly people that maybe have a little bit different message than than our normal evangelical Christian message. And particularly if they're like really outstanding young millennial adults. And so today I have all of the above, uh, a young man, and I say that in the most unpatronizing way possible, Jacob. Uh, Jacob Henson joins us today, and Jacob is uh, a young man who grew up in Fresno, my hometown here. Actually, went to our church until he met a beautiful woman from Spain and ended up moving to Madrid, where he talks to us from today. And he's a musician, a business owner, and just a a really awesome guy. So, Jacob, thanks for joining me today.
0: Thanks for having me, Paul.
1: How's life in Madrid today? Well, tonight, tonight, I guess for you.
0: Tonight, yeah. Now it's night, but you know it's it's great today. We went and had some good barbecue with some friends. We had a very typical American day, actually. Hamburgers. And pool. So, we're
1: happy. <laughs> very nice. Well, and, and are you guys opened up again? How is how is I know Spain was hit very hard by the virus, right?
0: Yeah, we were hit very hard. And we, yeah, very hard. And, you know, because we are a little bit smaller than the States, I think we're about 25% bigger than California. So, not much bigger. It was very isolated. It was very, you know, condensed. And so, uh, we are just now opening up again. We're allowed to visit people in groups of 10. We still are not allowed to eat in restaurants, only if they have terraces, like outside uh, seating.
1: Uh, and so you are a restaurateur. So how has yeah. how has the restaurant business been for you through all of this?
0: Um, we made one of the best decisions about a year ago, which was to invest in our delivery services. When our main our main you know goal was to have the best experience in the restaurant for our customers, we decided to really make an effort in delivery, and that really paid off because. People being let home all day, they ended up ordering a lot of food. So we were able to survive and in a way flourish because of delivery. So we're doing good.
1: Congratulations. Yeah, I wonder what innovation is going to come out of all of this, hmm. uh, particularly like in the church world. I'm thinking the church, this this ought to be one of the most innovative times ever for the church.
0: Yeah, but in a I whole mean, lot
1: of industries, huh?
0: Well, I mean, especially in the church, because I feel like in the church, at least the church that, you know, My father-in-law is the pastor of the church I go to here in Madrid, and one of the very few evangelical churches that we have in Madrid. And, you know, they, the innovation that I've seen just in the last month to two months, now they have online services. Now, you know, they've had to, it's just that would never have happened had this not happened. And so, you know, there's always a silver lining (laughs) and everything, you know?
1: So we had churches open this past Sunday. Uh, some, there was a hundred person limit, but some violated that and went farther. So when, do, when are churches reopening in your place?
0: They are now allowed to have, I think, like, I think it's a maximum. It depends on the size of your building. Okay. I know our services only, I think they had 20 people in it and physically. And it was almost just like, is it even worth it? (laughs) But especially, you know, what happens, the elderly pass by because they just don't get clued in on what's going on. And they want to come attend church and they have to be turned away. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, these are not the tech savvy people that know how to get online (laughs) and watch the service. So my advice is, you know, let the elderly go physically to church and we can watch it from home for now.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've kind of enjoyed watching church from home, to be honest. Great.
0: (laughs) No one church can and... tell me stop drinking my coffee yeah. while I'm listen- listening to the sermon, you know? Because here, here at the church, you know, it's not like an American church where you can kind of, you know, hold a coffee in your hand and then have the other hand raised up when, during worship. But here, it's like you just don't drink coffee during the, during the service. And Oh, that's tragic. Yeah, that it is tragic. tragic. <laughs> <laughs> I've been scolded more than once.
1: Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, you, could, you can maybe bring that Americanization to them at some yeah. point. Well, I, I wanted to, to chat with you. I, I've been following your stuff on Facebook, and isn't this a great world where we can stay connected across the Atlantic Ocean? And and I, particularly, you've had some—I thought you had some great stuff to say into the coronavirus and the other things. But from from your perspective as an American kid living overseas, as we've we've been into the events of the last few weeks, and, and racism and systemic racism have become such a, an, an important thing that's, that we're all talking about. I thought your insights were, were really good. And, and so what, first, like what sort of prompted you to, to speak out and, and start to um, hit these. And I should say, we also posted one of your posts as a blog on the nonpartisan evangelical website at NPEpodcast.com. So people can read that there, but I don't know what prompted you to start speaking out on the issue of racism.
0: Definitely. It was not, it was not, because I don't want to say it it took courage because really it was seeing other people like yourself step out, start saying things. And, you know, I feel like a lot of, a lot of what we, what I'm saying is I feel the freedom, you know, there's been this thing inside of me for a very long time. I'm very active on Instagram. That's my main social network that I use. And it's, it's, you see immediately when you post something, the reaction people have. And It makes it, it really helps define what you decide to share and what you don't share because you'd rather just not deal with having to explain, it's exhausting having to explain yourself so much. I know you probably understand that having to constantly explain yourself. I have to do that a little bit from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. And in my case, explain myself in two different languages constantly. (laughs) And so when Facebook, with Facebook, I, I read it every single day. I'm one of those few millennials that maybe actually continues to use Facebook, but I've, I rarely post. And it got to the point where I said, "Hey, here's a place where I can post in one language. I don't have to worry about the other language, which is Spanish. I can speak to people that I know. I don't have to in I don't have to worry about all these other things I'm having to manage that I do, on, you know, like I do on Instagram." So I just posted something and, you know, with the support I got from it, it has empowered me to keep doing it. And Now I'm at the point where I just really don't care what people think about me. You know, I, (laughs) I don't really have much to lose. And, but with that being said, it is, and this is probably another conversation. It is um, emotionally draining having to see people that, you know, that, you know, if you could talk to them in person, you could explain yourself. Yeah. But on Facebook, it's just like so hard, but I made a decision that this is so important. What's happening right now that, um, I'm all in. Hmm. I'm all
1: in. That's good to hear. And I I think it, and you're right. I've had to have some offline conversations cuz things do get difficult in text, but when I talk to my friends that are in our communities of color here in Fresno and in Central California, you know, they say, "Man, having a a white person, a person of privilege, a person that lives on the north end of our city, which is mm-hmm. which is where the upper upper class n- tend to live." it just means the world to them for me. And I, and I'm nobody of great import, but just people like you and me that look like you and me speaking Mm -hmm. out means a lot to, to people who live in those marginalized communities.
0: Exactly. And that, I think that is the main trigger is, that's the main reason why I feel like I want to post these things that I've said is because of the reaction that I've gotten from, you know, black friends that are, encouraging me saying, thank you so much. It means so much that you're saying that when I always felt like as a white person, my words meant nothing. You know, even the fact that I just said the word black is something new to me. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Because I always felt like I had to be so careful with how I explain a person of color. Cause I don't want to offend people. And so I was always like is it appropriate to say I'm African American is it like what do I, and then or do I do this new POC thing that people are putting like what do I do? Yeah. And I just decided to use what they are using, you know. And and I'm not afraid of saying that, you know, this is a black and white issue or this is a black th- persons, you know, because that's that's not that's what the language that they're using, you know.
1: Yeah. And and obviously you, you don't call a black person an African American in Spain. What what do they call them in Spain? I'm sorry to even use think, the word I think, them. I think what, they
0: kind of do. I, well, I think they would call them black or they would okay. call them Af, Afro-Americano. Like they would oh, say right? There's something similar. But okay. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is I and mean, we can, this is semantics, but it's like they are just as much American as we are. I mean, they're just as much American as, as we are. And in the sense, we are probably more European than they are African.
1: Right. Right.
0: I mean, literally think about how much of the European culture has affected and infiltrated the United States that we still to this day use. There's very little African culture that exists in the United States. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. These are people who are Americans. And somebody even left a comment yesterday on one of your posts saying that it's so un-American what these people are doing. Like, and I said, you know what, that, and I didn't comment. I'm glad I didn't comment because my comment was going to come out really harsh. <laughs> but I, just, I feel like what they were was saying was these black people aren't American yeah. by doing this. I feel like if it was a white person doing it, they would never use even use the term American. Yeah. It's like as if the black people have to earn their Americanism. And and so I don't know, it's just like there's a lot of this going on and every day I'm just learning something new.
1: Yeah. That's so good. And even, you know, even with some of my friends I've been talking to, they, they say even that word American is difficult because American means white European. Mm-hmm. And some of my Latino friends would say my my ancestors have lived here longer than yours. So why are you the yeah. definition of American? And, yeah, and so I mean, that word is, is
0: even difficult for some of them. It's a wake-up call because, I mean, even here in Spain, um, the Sp- a, Spaniard, so a, Europe, a Spaniard would say that we were American. But a Latino would say um, that we're North American mm. because to them, all the Americas is American and we are just North Americans and they are South Americans, Central Americans, right? Yeah, um, semant- it's all semantics
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that's really important about what you said even about the word black people get all upset about political correctness and PC-ness and all that what I have found is if you try if it matters I, I did an interview with a young woman from the queer community and I didn't even know mm-hmm. queer was a word we used but and, and I had gone to an event and they had asked me what my pronouns were and I had never oh understood this idea of pronouns and so they had to explain to me what my pronouns were as a, what was I I'm a, I'm a cis male, gender male or whatever. Cisgender male. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the thing was, is, is I was like, man, how are we going to remember all this stuff? And what she said is, you know, we, we'd actually don't care if you get it right. Just if you try, it means, it means so much. And it's a hard, so,
0: it's a hard uh, issue.
1: Yeah. So let's not get so hung up on, PC and being upset that we're having to learn these things, just, just lean into it and say, how can I, how can I best honor you as a human being?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. That's good. So this is your, your post today. I'm just going to read the very start of this because I thought it was so good. You you say, who should I believe? A white person that tells me racism is not real or a black person who tells me it is? Or wait, should I get out the racism handbook and make sure I check off all the boxes, do an in-depth study, make sure I collect enough data? Should I count every sin a black person has done and hold it against him as a way to prove that he gets what he deserves Should I cry when I see the destruction of our targets in Walmarts, but turn my head when a black person asks me to care about the inequality and destruction that is dealt upon them every single day. Wow. Yeah. Tell me about that. What were you, what were you feeling in all of that?
0: What I'm feeling is I'm seeing, I'm seeing something I've never seen before, Paul. I'm seeing an entire people group crying out and asking us for help. It's that simple. They're saying, and more than ever, they're asking white people to partner with them. And I just feel like there's a, a big invitation for us right now. And it's easier than ever for a white person to be involved with something that benefits the black community. Before there's always this like, you know, should, how, how do I say it? the black? There was never this stuff like, I feel like more than ever, the black community is like, come, come as you are white person. (laughs) I don't care if you don't know everything about me, come as you are and let's get this figured out, you know? And I just feel so empowered by that and I have nothing to lose. And so when I post that, I, I, and what I'm feeling is anger
2: and anger because
0: a lot of this bad energy that I'm feeling is coming from the white community, my friends, my family. And I'm all about having good arguments. I mean, you and I could sit here on a podcast and have really great debates about topics that are really fun, you know, really fun to talk about. And, and then later go out for coffee and be just fine. Even though we disagree on things, this is the one topic where I'm like, if we disagree on this, it really changes things. (laughs) Mm. It really does, and it really so changes
1: how you how you look at that person
0: yes, it, because there's so much anger attached to this, mm. and so I have to really so yesterday on the post that you just read, if you go to the through the comments, you'll see one of the people commenting, i mean just the first two lines of that it just it's so racist what he said. <laughs> And uh-huh. I almost wanted to say in, in response, you are a racist. And I didn't say that because what I – my anger wanted me to say, this comment is so racist. And that would just get – what I really want to do is win him over. And I have to remember the best part, the best strategy I could possibly have is leaving the door open so that at some point he can, he can come back in and, and be a part of what we're trying to do. And so I let him spout what I feel is hate his ignorance. And I I try to be really careful with my words and how I respond because I want to keep that door open and I don't want to push anyone away. And that's one of the tragic things I think that is happening in this movement is there's so much anger that the saying is either you're with us. If you're not with me, I'm not with you. And I'm saying, you know what? You guys aren't with me right now, but I hope sometime in the future you will be. So I have to state what I believe and at the same time, leave the door open for you guys to come through it. At, at whatever point in time, you guys wake up to what's going on, you know?
1: Yeah, and racism is such, such a horrible thing. None of us want to be called a racist. None of us are oh, okay no. with being called a racist. And so I think we do have to be careful. And, and in some ways, you can, you can throw a word around so much, it becomes sort of ineffectual. But at the same time, I think what I've been learning is how damaging this language is. You know, I had somebody on, on my comment thread yesterday say, the problem is those people won't get off the couch and get a job. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just can't say that. I, I, I can't sit without saying, hey, that's not okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's not true. And yep. it's very damaging. And, and I even had a friend call me yesterday and he's like, man, I'm watching the comments on your page. And and I'm just broken. I'm broken. I I can't. I don't know if I I don't know if I can have any hope anymore. If this is what white Christian people how they respond in this moment. So I think we do have to. I I love that. Leave the door open. And and so I never just say, Hey, you're a racist. But I am now at a place where I'm going to say, Hey, that's not okay. What you just said. And and are you willing to hear that? That's really painful for a whole bunch of people.
0: I've seen you do that, and I've actually seen some of your comments. I'm like, Wow, Paul's not holding anything back right now like he's (laughs) because you know people obviously they're digging into you you know and at some point you have to defend at least if not yourself defend the cause you know what you're and so it's but that's the exhausting part the exhausting part is not responding to people it's how do i respond how do i do this so that i don't regret what i say tomorrow because i can't afford to be wrong right now like i can't afford to leave a comment or state something that I'm going to regret in 24 hours, because that will actually hurt what I'm trying to advance. Yeah. And that's the, that's the exhausting part.
1: What I, what I, I think what I, let's start to say my biggest fear. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but I guess right now I'm more worried of my friends from communities of color saying, Mm -hmm. wow, Paul, you're trying to preserve your place. You're, mm. you're trying to, you're protecting your space right now, because frankly, that's what I did for a long, long time, yeah. particularly as a pastor of an evangelical church. I felt like I couldn't really say what was in my heart to say, because I would lose people from the church, or it would, mm-hmm. you know, and I would put it in other terms of, it, it, it's not fair, they're not there, they're not ready to hear yeah. that. And and right now, I just, so now I feel like I have some making up to do to say, I'm more worried about offending my friend from the marginalized community than I am my, my buddies in the, in the areas of privilege.
0: Yeah. I would imagine it's harder for you, much harder. I mean, I'm so far removed physically from the United States. I, that honestly has also helped me in two ways to have perspective. I I've been in Spain through several major elections so I've seen dating back to when Obama first ran for office. I uh, was here this whole, the whole summer leading up to the election. And so I've seen several different political things happen from far away. And now I'm seeing this and the perspective is uh, a lot bigger, but also there's no attachment. Like I don't have to leave my house tomorrow. When pr- actually, no one is allowed to leave their house tomorrow, but I'm not <laughs> allowed to leave my house I can't leave my house tomorrow and, and I'm not going to see somebody on the street. That's going to be like, dude, what do you mean by that? How could you, you know, so you're having to probably start dealing with that and, and that's more power to you <laughs> for sticking to your guns. Um, I have the benefit of, of, of distance, you know?
1: Yeah. But, and I guess I also have the real privilege of actually getting to talk to the people who feel oppressed and, and get the, that's another. get the, the, the payback of them saying, thank you, you know? And, and so it has its, it has its good and it's bad. How does your faith play into all of this? Where, where does, where does your faith system and faith beliefs play into you speaking out uh, about racism?
0: Yeah. It's very interesting. If you look at everything I posted recently about, you know, what's going on and none of the posts have I mentioned God once, and I didn't do that on purpose (laughs) because what I do when I, Express myself as I I compose everything in in my notes app on my iPhone because I think composing in Facebook is dangerous. So I post, I I compose everything because I have to delete things. I have to re, you know, really, really think about what I want to say. And thinking is hard, right? Thinking is very hard. So I take you're
1: smarter about that than me. Sometimes I have to go (laughs) back and do the delete, re, re retype, re edit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I do it there. (laughs) I've learned that. And then I, I copy and paste it. But my faith is is intertwined with justice you know it god is so to me the spirit the holy spirit and everything that has to do with god and what jesus did on this earth has to do with like you said helping the marginalized but it has to do with correcting an injustice Mm
2: -hmm. which was
0: the greatest injustice of all in all of history which was you know just the destruction of sin and, and connecting us with god again and I feel like right now, if you look on Facebook, there's this big disconnect with people accepting what is true. Everything's, everything you read, there's always a subtext of, is this true? Mm, yeah. You know?
2: And which so makes things really, really tough.
0: It makes things tough, but it makes things really tough for the church, for Christians, because now when you post something, is that really true? Anybody can post a Bible verse, but is that really true, what they're saying? And so now everything a Christian says is, being, is being, being questioned. And I just think that people know I'm a Christian. My actions speak so much louder than my words right now, even though my actions are words. And I feel like God's heart is breaking right now for the black community. It does not mean that God's heart does not break for other people. It does not mean that God has turned his face away from white people. I'm just saying that there's a time and space right now where this is opened up. And I feel like God is saying, do something. Do something. It's almost like a test. Do this. If you can't do this, which is something that's so obvious and necessary, then what can you do? Are you even useful to me?
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Are you useful to me? If you can't even look at, a person of color and say, I'm listening to you. I care more about you than right now than my own things. If you can't do that, then how can I trust you to do anything? And so that's where I'm at right now.
1: That's big. I, I just, so being a Christian, I think Jesus came to model the life I'm supposed to lead and and walk mm-hmm. and do my best to walk and, what I see that he did, you know, his his mission statement was he came to give sight to the blind and set the captive free and declare the year of the Lord's favor. And, and so to me, what that looks like for us in today's modern is, is Jesus came to break a religious system that was keeping people from being able to get to God. There was there was a you know people knew they needed to connect to god and what their religious system told us told them is you have to follow these commandments you have to pay this tithe you have to do this you have to do this you have to do this and and those that do that better than you are going to be socioeconomically better off than those that don't and so there was a a, a spiritual justification for poverty and for wealth mm-hmm. i think we're in a very similar very similar time in history where we've created a Christianity that says, yeah, it's all about Jesus providing the way to God. And then all you have to do in the midst of that is is be Republican, be anti... Okay, most people wouldn't say be Republican. They would say be anti-abortion, be Mm -hmm. anti-gay marriage, don't sell cakes to gay couples, and be angry if somebody forces them to do so, you know, and, and these other things that we've placed on top of the gospel or in between. And those are the things that I think God God hates. I think he hates us keeping people from having a free relationship with him more than he hates somebody doing any of the sins we would list as the as the biggest sins. And so I I feel like this is a season where I get to decide like Jesus, am I am I going to sit with the Samaritan and the tax collector, which I'm not saying our marginalized communities are bad people. I'm saying they're the ones that the religious Power class is looking down upon, and am I willing to lose my reputation sitting with them? I think the wonderful opportunity of today is I get to find out: am I willing to do that, like Jesus did?
0: I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, Jesus set the example of—I mean, and he was showing his disciples as he was doing it. Look what I'm doing, because you're going to have to go do this too. I mean, you're—you know, Paul, you're going to go back to Rome and hang out with them. You know, you guys going to have to go. To Galicia, you have to always different places, and, and speak to people you don't like. And that I think is also the ascent, you know one of the missions that Jesus gave us. And He was showing that with the you know this the Samaritan story with the lady at the well. This is everything He did had to do with, well, and obviously with Mary, you know Magdalene. And like this is like everything had to do with look at who I'm caring for right now. I'm not caring for the Pharisees because according to them they're fine. <laughs> I mean, literally, if you go ask the Pharisees, they're going to tell you they're fine, so they don't need me. Right. And I mean, he didn't say it just like that, but that's pretty much what he that's said. That's what he said. Yeah. I they mean, don't need a doctor. They're they're not sick. They don't need a doctor. And, and you know, that's, I mean, if if you've been a Christian any long period of time, a serious Christian, you know that the easier things are for you in life, the less you need God.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and that's why, you know, one of the other things is so hard for a rich person, you know, to get to God. It's not because money's bad. It's because, we don't have that feeling of need. We don't worry about where the food's coming from. We don't, you know, so I feel like Jesus also showed us even there's never a good time. I always tell people, people, people ask me, when should I have kids? You know, like you have, you, you, cause here in Spain, I'm considered a young father. You know, we had my first oh, well, child when I was 26 people, here don't have kids until their mid thirties, you know? So, I tell them, I said, you know, you guys, there's never a good time. <laughs> like there's never, it's always going to be a sacrifice. You have kids when you're in your twenties, you have to sacrifice a little bit of your youth, but Hey, by the time you're in your mid forties, those kids are old. And now you can still have so much life to live still, or you wait till you're a little bit later, but then you are at the peak of your career and you want to dedicate every single day you have to go to the office. And now you can't cause you have little kids. So it's, it's never easy. And Faith is never easy. It's never a good time to have to fight injustice. It's never convenient
2: mm. to
0: have to fight injustice. And, but saying that, this to me is the best time in history. In my opinion, it has been laid at our feet. Literally, without us having to do much effort. And so when I'm saying us, I mean white people. It has been laid at our feet. The door has been opened wide for us to step in and make a difference, to help our, our black brothers and sisters. And that's why it hurts so much. Yeah. When I feel like the church is not wanting to step into that because it's just like it's so obvious to me. It's just so apparent. This is what's needed. And it's sad, man, but it's like, yeah, these days I don't see many people posting scriptures. I don't see many people talking about God.
1: Everybody, it's Paul. I'm glad you're tuning into this great conversation with Jacob Henson. I want to take a quick break to interrupt here and just invite you to a couple of things. One is our Take One Step to Fight Inequality project that we're working on. I want to know what you'll do to take one step to start to change your mentality and mindset about racial inequality and socioeconomic inequality. You can go to our website we have a Take One Step page that you can get when you hover over that events page and check out all the resources we have there. Or go on my Facebook page, the Pulse Sperr Engine Facebook page, and check out it there. And whatever you do to take one step to change your mindset on racial and socioeconomic inequality, send me a message, send me a video. I want to share it so other people can start to do the same. And the other thing I want to invite you to is our Patreon page and the Nonpartisan Evangelical Patreon community. That's where we get our financing from to do what we do, buy our equipment and software and all the things we need. So I would love you to join. It's on the NPEpodcast.com website. Up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a Patreon button, and you can join our NPE Patreon community. You can get a free autographed copy of my book, Joseph Comes to Town When the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong. It's my new novel, and I'll send you an autographed copy just for joining at the $12.99 a month level. And also you get the audiobook series, which is still coming forward as I read the book and record it and have exclusive commentaries, all of that available on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Patreon page. And by doing so, you help support the message of challenging mindsets with the Nonpartisan Evangelical. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Join me to take one step to fight inequality and to help us out financially by joining our NPE Patreon community. Now, back to the podcast with Jacob Hinson of the Nonpartisan Evangelical at This is a great time in history. Every conflict provides opportunity. And what has your journey been into this? Did did you always believe this way? Were you more conservative as you are younger? Before we came on, you and I talked about this concept of, of being woke. You know, yeah. How has that journey been for you?
0: It, it, I think what does it I look saying, like? Well, when I was a kid growing up in Fresno, Fresno is a very multicultural community. My best friends when I was young were black. I mean, I didn't know what racism was. I did not know until I got older. And and the unfortunate thing, the way way I see it now is I was friends with a lot of these people at a very young age. But then when I was in my teenage years, we grew apart because of the schools that we went to. And so I never saw them have to go through that process when they wake up to the reality of what racism is. And so I never witnessed that. One of my best friends to this day is black. And we've never had the conversation about race. And now I'm thinking, maybe we should have. But the process that I've had, you know, I have two, I have a niece and a nephew that are half black, half white. My wife is from Colombia, she was born in Colombia. I have a very multicultural family. And I've just never felt like the white people were superior in any way. I just never felt that way. (laughs) If anything, because I'm a huge sports fan, you know, I always think that we're very inferior in so many ways. (laughs) If only I could be a little bit taller, a little bit stronger, um, a little bit faster, right? And it just never clicked with me. And I've also seen this thing politically happen where I don't want to get – it's hard because I feel like America has been dealt a really bad hand politically. But I've seen this thing where being a Christian has become racist. My greatest fear is that Christians are now seen as racist. If you say I'm a Christian, that means you're racist. I mean, it it may not have has happened yet, but it's going to happen because if you are a Christian, an evangelical Christian, there's a good chance that you're racist. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard thing for people to hear. Well, it's, here's the thing. Like people, we need to not be offended. Also, like I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek, yeah, but I learned a long time ago that the best thing you can do in life is just not be easily offended because that's going to let you get so much farther farther in life, in your relationships, in conversations. It helps you to go so much deeper. But to answer your question, what led me to this in a big way and what what in my life has led me to this is, honestly, Paul, I think I've seen enough movies. (laughs) I think I've read enough books. There's no excuse for me not to know what's going on. I recently, a year and at, two years ago, I had an experience in my life, and it's probably maybe the only experience in my life where I've experienced racism personally here in Spain. And the reason why is, to make a long story really short, I took my kids at this time, they were two and uh, five, I think, to go buy um, books at the bookstore. I took them to the bookstore. I wanted them to pick out their new books. I want them to love to read. So it was a really big occasion. It was like taking them on a date but educational. And I was so excited. We walk in the bookstore and the first thing I noticed is they took away the kid area where the kids can sit and read. There was still kids book, but the play area was gone. I'm like, oh, that sucks. So I tell the girls, my oldest, look, you look at this book, you look at this book. And so my youngest sits in the ground to look at the book. The lady that was in charge, I would say the manager of the store came up and said, can you please stop throwing books around? And I looked at her and I said, she had heard me talking in, in, in English with my kids, I'm sure. She probably didn't even know I was talking in English. And, she, and I looked at her and said, Oh, I'm sorry, man, but we're not throwing books. You know, my kids are sitting on the ground reading books. So she came back another time, and this time yelling at me to stop throwing books around. And I looked like, What books are being thrown? And I got a little bit mad, but I didn't say anything. A third time she came and she says, You're throwing books. And this time she was just like yelling. And as I'm speaking to her, I'm trying to explain that this book is not being thrown. I'm actually going to buy it for my child. And I exploded. I exploded because she had been following me around the store. And and the only way I can explain this is because there's a population of Eastern European people that live in Spain that have an Mm -hmm. accent when they speak and that are treated lesser than a Spanish person. Right. And so in that moment, I realized, oh, my gosh, she thinks that I'm from Romania or I'm from Poland or whatever. And she's assuming that because of that, I'm uh, not educated or I'm not, I don't know how to be in a bookstore. And so I exploded on her. Another man who was not involved in this situation at all came to her defense.
1: Oh, wow. And, and,
0: and so now I'm like the whole store was looking at me and as if I'm like the worst person ever. I go and I pay for the book and we leave and I told them I'm never coming back here ever again. That's something very American to do, by the way. I've yeah. never coming back to this store <laughs> ever again. And then I went to Starbucks with my kids to buy a coffee. And I was in line for Starbucks and I felt like everyone in the store was looking at me.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I can't express the feeling. It was just this horrible feeling that came over me. It was like the presence of um, this heaviness over me. And I felt like everyone was looking at me, judging me, and it made no sense at all if you look at it from the outside. But from what I was feeling, I said, this is what a black person feels every single day. Mm. And so I've never forgotten that. And so when this opportunity came to step in and be a part of this, I say, I know that. Now, my story is nothing compared. Right. It's what the black people have to go to. I completely understand that. But for that small moment, I felt something.
1: So good to get just a taste of it, to know what it's like.
0: It was Paul, it was horrible. And I, I mean, you may listen to that story and think, maybe you would have reacted in a different way. It's probably not. The, maybe there was a misunderstanding. But once again, that's what, that's what we say to the black people all the time. Right. Are you sure it happened that way? Are you sure that, you know, there wasn't a misunderstanding? And I'm tired of his excuses.
1: <laughs> which, which was your post that I was just reading? It's it, we we go to the racism handbook to find mm-hmm. the explanation to defend ourselves from from considering ourselves part of the problem. hmm And and I think and we were talking before we came on, and you were you were you said something really uh, interesting that you don't want to be woke. It's a it's a process. It's not a it's not a destination.
0: Well, to say I'm woke would suggest that I've arrived somewhere. And I don't feel like I've arrived anywhere. I feel like I'm in the process of learning, learning several things, learning how to back up what I'm saying, how to make sure that what I say is backed up by action, learning how to communicate with people who don't see what's happening and don't understand it. And so to say, you know, that concept is like, I don't want to be associated with it because I, 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 haven't, I haven't gotten there. I don't even know if I ever will. I'd rather say that, humbly say that I am open to learn and to grow.
1: Yeah. Humility, I think, is a really important part of it. Mm-hmm. We wanted to humble ourselves. And, and recently, I was given a couple of words that I really like. One was wakefulness rather than being woke. Okay. Live in a, live in a space of wakefulness, which means I'm, I want to constantly be learning and growing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the other one I liked, my friend told me the other day, he said, he said, whiteness. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you say you're white and that equates to bad, mm-hmm. I had no choice whether I would be white or not. And so if you tell mm-hmm. me I'm bad because I'm white, eh, you know, that is its, its own form of racism, perhaps, yeah. it, although not with the political power behind it, which I understand. But, but I, I had no choice to be white white, but I can choose to live in whiteness or not. Yeah. And or, or privilege may be another word for it. And to be living in whiteness, you don't necessarily have to be a white person. No. A non-white person can make that choice as well. So anyway, I like, I like those two terms that, that, that those are, those are talking about a journey and choices we make along the way, rather than, than a space or a, or a birthright.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, those things, There's a lot of good conversations to be had around whiteness, around, I mean, there's there's so many things going on in the world with, you know, coronavirus and with the elections coming up. There's just so many issues. And I think that there's a time to get to everything. Mm -hmm. And my main argument is let's take time, the most time that we've ever taken to really focus on this issue. It's like having a checklist of things that we have to do. Yes, there's a lot of people suffering all over the world. We got to check all those boxes off, but can we just please check this box off? can we, can we accomplish something with this and then move on? There's a lot of things that we can do multitasking. And I feel like this one, we can't multitask. We really have to focus on it. And so I think there's a time where we'll get to talk about, okay, how, what does it mean to be white? And obviously it's not bad that you're white. You were born that way. You can't change that, but there's going to be a new reality, Paul. There's going to be a new America that's coming and I I really do believe there's going to be a new America and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's not a negative thing at all. It's I'm very optimistic and I think it's going to be the best version of America we've ever had.
1: Yeah. Well, and that, and, and I may not get to experience that as much as some others (laughs) because I'm a little bit older than you, but I I am, I'm very optimistic about the millennial generation. I, my, Mm. my hope in, in the boomer generation, or I'm a, I'm a very old Xer. Like you said, you're an old millennial. I'm an old Xer. And, I, and I'm wondering if we can get there. And, and particularly if we can't use an opportunity like the death of George Floyd.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and to me, some of the danger of the death of George Floyd is we, is we try to say, again, taking out the racism handbook. Yes, that, that cop is a bad guy. And let's prosecute him. And let's let him be what we crucify in this to make ourselves feel better. Mm-hmm but, and that's a danger. And yes, all of those things, you know, should happen. He should be prosecuted and all those things. And, and boy, there's something wrong with that guy. But if we don't look at it and say, there's, but there's a system that produces Mm -hmm. these people, or maybe even worse, a a system. Let me, let me just take another cop that's just out there on the beat somewhere. And, and, and maybe he's grown up in a, in a systemic racism that just again has that low grade feeling of, I have to be a little more wary of a black man than, or a Hispanic man than I do other people. And now he's trapped in a system. Now he's at danger by the system because if something goes wrong in an interaction with, with a black man or a Hispanic man, a Latino man, if I should say, then now his life is ruined. His family's life is significantly impacted. So, so we're not just trying to free the marginalized, the communities of color, we're trying to free us all in this and get us all mm-hmm. out from under this, this tyranny and oppression of racist, uh, systemic racism.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, I really believe that a stronger black population makes us all stronger. I mean, if I have to convince, I mean, this is sad. If I have to go to these lanes, but if I have to give, convince a white friend that it's in their best interest and that's why they should do it, then yes, I would like them to come with a heart and say, I want to do it because I really want to help. And I really, but if I have to, I can convince them, hey, by doing this, it'll actually make your life better. You know, raising up one population makes us all stronger. And I will even go and say something maybe controversial. I don't know if it's controversial or not, but I believe there will never be justice. The the cop who, who had his knee on George Floyd's neck there is no justice that can be done that breaks the yoke of racism that is in this country. So it's just say that even if he goes to jail, they could give him a life sentence. It does not fix the problem of racism in, in this country. So the, the thing that we're missing from this conversation of, Oh, it was police brutality, but it wasn't racism. Is All that doesn't right. at this point it's semantics because no matter what happens to this cop, the fact is racism still exists. If looting was not happening and rioting was not happening, racism still exists. And there was something I was gonna to post today and I didn't. And <laughs> because of time. Come on, but be brave. It, 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 honestly, it's just because of time, and, and I was trying to compose myself, but uh, basically it's just you know, you know that you can choose to not be distracted by the riots and looting. Yeah, you can change the t- channel on the TV. The idea that the riots and looting are distracting from the real issues sounds like a lame excuse to not have to actually care about the real issues. Riots and looting are bad. Okay, great, now move on to the real issues. So it's like something I've learned over the last couple of years is just this ability to be a lot of things at once. When I grew up in Fresno, California, I went to a school called Bullard Talent. I think your children might have gone there. Yep. And I loved it. I was really, you know, I'm a musician, so I was really into the arts. And, but I also really wanted to go into sports. So there's this, and this is all going to wrap it back around, but, I, you know, I, I would play soccer every year. I was always in the soccer teams. And I got into middle school, and I really wanted to play basketball. I loved basketball. But they had a horrible basketball team, horrible basketball coach. And so I never got into it. And there's always this, and once you get into high school, it's just like you got to choose who you are, man what club are you in are you going to be the one of those artsy fartsy guys or are you going to be a sports jock you know and as an adult i realized i want to be both i want to love playing basketball love watching games with my friends and also compose songs you know what i mean yeah. i want to support my arts community and at the same time go to a huge stadium and scream my you know you can be both things at once so it's right. just say that you can be helping the black community And also do other things you care about. And you can choose not to look at the looting and the rioting and at the same time care about, or you can see what's happening with the looting and rioting and be disgusted with it. And at the same time, care about what's happening with the black community. And people are wanting to, are coming in in this with tunnel vision. And my only thing, my main thing I would ask is just open up your perspective a little bit. You can be disgusted by one thing. And pour your heart into something else at the same exact time. And all I see right now is you're being disgusted. <laughs> I'm asking you, okay, but also pour your heart into this issue over here, please.
1: Yeah, good, good word. And I remember, you know, the OJ trial
2: mm-hmm.
1: and when OJ was found not guilty. The, particularly the black communities were celebrating that. And, and I just remember thinking aghast, like, this is a terrible man that slaughtered his wife. Yeah. How can you do that? And, and it was actually, there was a, a five-part, I don't know if ESPN did it, somebody did a five-part series on it. And watching that and realizing that people were saying, I wasn't cheering for OJ. OJ's a horrible person but I was cheering that a black man beat the system because the system has been so against us for so long. This was our guy getting away with it. And, and I, and so I, I, you know, when we hear that, we either have to decide to be offended by it. As you were saying, Mm -hmm. I, I have to make a choice. Does that mean black people who believe that way are stupid? They either have to be stupid or they have to be subhuman, not not quite as sophisticated or human as me. Or there's something I need to hear here. There's something really wrong in the mix that is causing people to express themselves in this way. And, and that's what I'm asking people to do. Forget the offense. It's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, the, we can all agree we don't want our stores to have their windows crashed out. Yeah. But don't let that distract you from the cry that's being heard or that should be being heard right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've even heard somebody say these riots, you know, in a bad, in a really angry tone, these riots are distracting from the real cause. These people should, these hoodlums should, I'm like, well, that's exactly it. If it's distracting from the real cause, change the channel and put your focus on the real cause then it's like, it's almost like, are you saying this because you really care about the cause, you know? And and it it's, it's hard, man. it's, i wasn't i was very young when the oj thing happened but i remember going to school every day and all all the teachers in elementary school they were all uh, tuned in like they were all i remember going to recess one day and they were like oh my gosh i have to listen in to see what's happening you know there was no internet at the time so it was like i have to listen in or turn the tv on and so we had there's this air about everything you know even those kids who don't understand what's going on we knew something serious was happening so i still remember that and obviously, I've seen the documentary since. And I 100% agree with you. It's like, we know that he did this. <laughs> but if God, a black man can murder his wife and get away with it, wow, what have we accomplished? Right? Right. Think about that. <laughs> then that should mean that a black man who has done absolutely nothing and is innocent shouldn't be put in jail for life.
2: Right. Right.
1: Well, and, and I think it's a, it's a meme with Will Smith. And so you never know if that's true or not. But, you know, I've been seeing this Will Smith meme go around where he's saying racism has something, some version of racism has always existed. Now it's just getting, now we're just getting it on video.
0: Yeah. It's like he said something like, it's always been there, but now, we're, now it's actually on, yeah, now it's on video. Yeah. Exactly.
1: So how many George Floyds have there been? Mm-hmm. that weren't caught on camera. And, you know, darn well, if if George Floyd wouldn't have been death, – his death wouldn't have been caught on camera. And I, I'm sorry, now I feel like I'm sort of flippingly throwing his name around, and I don't want to do that. But had there not been a video camera there, he would have been just or another guy. Not, yeah.
0: Had he not died.
1: Yeah, just another
0: – What if he didn't die, though? It still would have been wrong what happened to him. And right. So, I mean, I heard – I think uh, Trevor Noah was –
1: who you sound like, by the way. I've been trying to think of your, your, accent. your accent's very different since I knew you as a younger man. And I was thinking, who does he sound like? And I thought, he sounds like Trevor Noah. You, you, <laughs> yes, you've got a little bit of some South African in you there.
0: I <laughs> well, he, I, I just was watching his, I don't know if it was like a, the, something he was posting, you know, he talked about even if the thing is he died and that's why we are so angry, but how many black men don't die? And yet they're still treated that way all the time. And I'm going to say something that may shock some people, but I've been racist in my life. That does not mean that I've called people bad names. I haven't sought it out, but I know that when a cop pulls me over in America, I know based upon the way I look and if I can just talk good, that... It'll be a great, fun conversation. And we always end up laughing. I always end up laughing with a cop, you know? And I know that a black person cannot do that. And, yeah. and, and it saddens me that the white community says, just put your hands on the wheel and take your... And <laughs> I'm just like, man, you don't, we don't have to, I don't have to do that.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't have to worry about are my hands on the wheel so they can see my hands, right? And so I know, and I think white people, we all know that it's not a fair system. And I don't know where I was going with that, but just, you know, I've been racist in my life.
1: Yeah. And, and I think now we're realizing in this time of wakefulness that we may not feel like we've been racist in our interactions with people. But just being ignorant of the system of it makes us a part of the racist problem. So I, I will give you permission to, to not have to call yourself racist. But we have to understand that our culture is and has been for a long, long time. And if we don't, we're going to have to stop and face it someday, or these things are going to keep happening, keep happening, keep happening. And frankly, if you're a Christian, I think the Bible commands you, commands yeah. that you have to care about it. Those That whole story about the sheep and the goats and taking care of the naked and the poor and visiting yeah. the prisoner, I think that's all about these other people are like, we did good things. And God said, nah, you didn't take care of that. And so I never knew you. I think those are pretty indicting stories if we're not willing to lean in yeah,
0: to wanting kind of to be like a part of
1: changing the system.
0: The spotlight is on this right now. Yeah, you know, The spotlight is here. So it's not like we can't say we didn't know. This is the one opportunity. And this is why it's so important for white people to speak up, especially in this time, because if we speak up and we make this visible, People are without an excuse to say they didn't know. Nobody can say they didn't know. We are putting it out there. And I really, really believe that not only as a nation or as a race or whatever, but as Christians, we will be judged by the way we react to this situation. And I know that sounds really harsh, but I really believe it. And truth is so harsh. I'm asking people, look into your heart. And, you know, it sounds so it's childish to say just to love people, you know. But loving somebody who is not like you and who, who will never be like you. Don't expect a black person to have to start acting like you until you accept them. Love people knowing that they will never be like you. Knowing that it might your life may never look the same again because you have to love this person. But, you know, Jesus gave up his whole life to save humanity. And at that point in time, what was humanity? It was the the Middle East, known, the known world was Mm -hmm. not white at the time. Right. So, I mean, even if you think of a Jewish. Jesus wasn't white. Come on. No, but not only that, but he didn't. I mean, obviously, when we say humanity, he saved all of humanity. But the known world at the time was not white. Right. As we know it today. And so back then, it's just going to sound weird because obviously it's retro- retroactive, but he didn't save white people, even though he did. He did totally. You know what I'm saying? It's like that was not in the picture. So, and I mean, not only that, but English didn't even exist as a language yet. Um, right. I mean, the white culture we know today didn't even exist yet. I and mean, we can go on and on and on about pretty much everything that white people have today comes from people who are not white <laughs> at the beginning. I don't want to disparage white people. I think that this is the time to act and this is a window that's been open to us and we will be judged by what we do or don't do in this time. And it's going to make church really difficult too. Yeah, It's going to make going back to church, you know, we've been out of physically out of church for a while now. And now we have to go back to church with some really big questions hanging over our head,
1: you know? Yeah. And look around at your church and, what do the faces look like? It's a, yeah. it's a very segregated time of our culture every Sunday morning is as they say. And and I think we've got to be intentional about starting to, to mix those mix, the races up on in our church world as much mm-hmm. as anywhere else. Or we get ourselves in that, in that same bubble.
0: Well, I mean, just, I went to a church in Fresno that was before I went to the river that, you know, at the peak of, I think it was like 600 people that went to the church. It's called community brethren. Uh, I was on Clinton and Cedar right next to McLean High School. Okay. Beautiful church building, brick building. And over the years, it kept going down and down. It went down and congregation went down when we had a woman pastor. Then it went down when the new worship leader brought the Holy Spirit to us, or at least woke us up to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And then it went down when we started in homeless ministry because that required us to let people come in that don't look like us and don't act like us. Mm. And it got to the point where the homeless – we're the only ones coming to our church now. We went from 600 people down to 50. That is a mass exodus. Yeah. To go from 600 people and then within 10 years go down to 50, and we ended up having to shut the church down. Wow. Right. What yeah. you don't hear about, like you know, we there's just no way to keep going. So I went to the River Church because my mom. Had, I think it was the home churches that were going on. My mom was already involved. But I went because my church was shut down. Wow. And, and so my concern is now is, you know, we're going back to church and there's going to be some hard conversations that we're going to have to have and hard talks. And I just hope and pray that Dan <laughs> has the courage. And he's, you know, he's been speaking out on Facebook. He's not hiding the way he feels about the situation.
1: Um, yeah. You're talking about uh, some hard conversations. Daniel Robinson, who's leading our our church now. Yeah. And I think in some ways, man, I, I, I look back and think I did such a poor job. I, I was so afraid to really talk about these things and delve into these issues. And I just encourage us as Christians, we, we can't be afraid to talk about these things anymore. And if it makes people leave. The interesting thing about what you're talking about in our city of Fresno, there is, so the city started in its core downtown and then it grew north, north, north northeast, northeast, northeast. And so, way on the northeast end of town, there's a street called Knees Avenue, Nees Avenue, in E E S Avenue, and it's known as Church Row. And all of these churches that used to be in South Fresno moved out to Church Row. And so, there's just one after the other after the other of churches that moved so that white people didn't have to go to church by McLean High School anymore, which yeah. was a neighborhood that was starting to diversify. So, if we don't think we're part of the problem, just drive down Knees Avenue in Fresno sometime and you'll see. And I, I don't, I'm not condemning those churches. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that is systemic racism. That's what we do. Let's keep moving away from that core and move away from those people so that our churches can be segregated. And, and we just need to take a look at that and say, what would Jesus do? Would he be in favor of that?
0: Yeah. And I mean something I wanted to mention too with you is just the psychological impact this has on everyone, which is, I mean, I've been reading a lot about the psychology of just victims and psychology of Holocaust survivors, the psychology of um, people who have just gone through tremendous things and have had to overcome. And one of the main things they talk about is that man can overcome anything is capable of, surviving even the most insurmountable odds but the way he does that psychologically is in partitioning certain things in his life and you know organizing his things and i was just thinking how psychologically the black community is totally different than us and the way they process the world around them and that psychologically i mean literally the way you see things you know people say that depending on the language you speak the, you see the world differently? And yep. I really believe that they see things differently than us based upon the psychology that has been developed over 400 years. And so when we say cliche things like only if the father stayed at home, well, their idea of what a father staying at home is completely different than what we think a father staying at home looks like. And even knowing that I come from a divorced parents, you know, but like, The psychology in that community of people is completely different. Do they want fathers in their home? I'm sure. Or not, I don't know. Maybe they're like, good riddance, they're gone. (laughs) I don't know. But the psychology is totally different. And so when we say these cliche things about black and black crime, always statistics, it doesn't explain how they are seeing the world and how it's so drastically different than how we see the world. And part of us being open to learning is saying, I may never feel what you feel, but I'm open to understanding the way you see things and I have to take your word for it. You know, I don't know what it means to be gay. I've never been gay. I don't know what it means to be homeless. I've never been homeless, but if a homeless man tells me, this is what it's like to live on the street. I believe him. Right. If a gay person tells me this is what it's like to be gay. I believe him. So why is it when a black person says, this is what it feels like. We say, ah, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: wow. Oh, that's interesting. Well, oh, that's, those are conversations that we need to have. And here's some stats for people if you, if you need some data to help. And it's one of those Well, everybody will say, was well, that really true? But yeah. if, so America has 5% of the world's population, the United States, 5% of the world's population, and we have 21% of the world's prison population. We, we put more people in prison than Cuba, China, any other, any other country in the world per capita by pretty significant margin of that prison population in the United States. 32% I think it's about that number are black or Hispanic while they only make up about 13, excuse me, 32% of our population are black or Hispanic. They make up 52% of the prison population. Their their numbers are inordinately African-American women, black women make up half of the female prison population. So the numbers are inordinate. So we have to hear those numbers and either decide they're more prone to, to crime just because they're born with a skin color or the system is rigged against them to some way. And I, I indict no one person in that. I indict us all. And we all have to take a look at that and say, we have this opportunity today to say, how does that change? How does that change? Yeah. So awesome. Enjoyed having the conversation with you today, Jacob.
0: Yeah, same.
1: Yeah, it's, it's great not talking an easy t- in English. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> well, we'll do it again. We'll give you more chance to talk in English. What's, tell, tell me what's the name of your music label and uh, the music that you do?
0: Yeah, uh, my artist name is Mild Man. And you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever. Mild Man, because I typed it in one time on um, Google randomly. And the first response that came up on Google was Jacob was a mild, considered a mild man. Oh wow. And it had a Bible verse. And I'm like, what? It's like, that's my name. I'm going with it.
1: But, nice. All right. Mild man. Look that up on Spotify and also Jacob Henson on Facebook. What's your Instagram uh,
0: label? Instagram is um, Jake underscore Henson.
1: Jake underscore Henson. All right. Great stuff. Well, Jacob, thanks for having the conversation. It's just been really fun catching up with you and let's do it again.
0: Yeah, please.